Wonderful to be here with you. And uh, I, I hope this is okay to say next week we will read through the entire genealogy. So you don't want to miss that. Uh, it'll be good. So, um, so be here next week and uh, we'll see who gets the, the short straw in the Bible reading. Um, I'm not sure how you're feeling. Uh, I, I wrote a little bit about this in the bulletin letter. Um, but I think for lots of us, Christmas can't get here fast enough. Um, maybe you're in a slightly different headspace to all this, but lots of people feel like they're just crawling over the finish line this year at Christmas. I think there's always that kind of feeling through December, um, but this year uh, even more so, I suspect. And uh, some of the things you hear people saying, just that sense of overall fatigue from lockdown, especially that long lockdown that we had in Term 3, trying to get the social muscles working again. You know, you go somewhere and it's been a little while since we've all done this and so you kind of find yourself thinking, oh, how do I do this again? What should I be doing here? Um, I guess there are all the normal end-of-year events plus all the catch-up events from the lockdown when things couldn't happen. And so in some ways there's a double load there and maybe in your workplace there are deadlines that you've had and they got kind of delayed a little bit earlier, and so they've all piled up, and then there's also all the December deadlines, all that kind of stuff. And so uh, for lots of people, there's just a sense of weariness, and we're trying to get across the finish line and uh, ready to have the year done with. And I wonder what the new year is going to feel like. I think often the new year does feel like it gives you a bit of a sense of freshness, of, of new energy and a sense of potential. I'm not sure whether we'll have that this year. I'm really intrigued to see how we all go with it. But... Um, you know, as, as we go through the shops, you hear lots of Christmas carols uh, kind of on the rotation. And as you start thinking about some of the words of those carols, um, some of them do tap into the theme of weariness. So in the bulletin letter, I've mentioned O Holy Night, uh, and it describes a response to Jesus' birth, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Um, Lachlan's mentioned here another carol that he hasn't sung as much at events in recent years. It came upon a midnight clear. Um, I can only vaguely kind of feel like I remember the melody of it, let alone the words. But um, it, the angels are singing about Jesus' birth, but it does tap into the weariness theme. So there's one pair of lines, and still their heavenly music floats over all the weary world. And uh, even more um, kind of visceral in the next verse, and you beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil away the climbing way with painful steps, and slow. Maybe that's a bit more extreme than, than you would normally use to describe how you're feeling, but then again, maybe it's not. But there is this weariness theme that kind of pervades the carols that we often hear at Christmas. There is also a, a theme um, that Christmas kind of helps answer the problem of weariness. So you think about the, the words in the carol, uh, Silent Night. Sleep in heavenly peace. Uh, or in God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, tidings of comfort and joy. And so uh, Christmas carols kind of hint at the great comfort for the weary. And I wonder whether this year that will resonate with lots of people a bit more than it, it does normally even. Uh, we're feeling weary. There's a lot still to get through between now and the end of the year. and We can finally kind of collapse over the line um, but the carols will remind us of, of some of the, the solution that God has promised us. And even if at the moment, you know, you are actually going, okay, you're not really feeling that weary, we all know that from time to time we all feel weariness. And so um, this is a help for us. 
It's a theme worth unpacking a little bit. And so what we're doing these last couple of weeks into Christmas, um, you, know, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, all that kind of stuff, you get a superhero and now they'll always do the origin story and the, the kind of prequel. That's kind of what we're doing at, at Christmas, uh, the birth of Jesus. But what comes before that? So the genealogy comes before that. And the genealogy takes us back to Abraham and, and really kind of sets us up to realise that Jesus is connected to that whole Bible story that comes before him, the Old Testament background. But we'll get to the genealogy next week. But before Abraham, of course, there's the start of the Bible story. And it does take us even further back. And so uh, this morning, a couple of headings as we try and start thinking about the Christmas solution that God has given us, the curse, the blessing and a weary world rejoices. We heard in our readings Jesus is described as the son of Abraham. We know that Abraham is such a significant player in human history, um, such a significant turning point in God's dealings with humanity. But that story of Abraham is informed by what came before it. And so in our first reading, we actually heard all the way back to the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And after they had rejected God's ways and they... Uh, decided that their decisions were going to be better than his uh, in terms of deciding what was good and evil, of course they fell under God's judgment. They fell under God's condemnation. And so God said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken and you will return to it. And so the first thing to notice there really about the curse is that all peoples now are destined to die. Death enters into the world and death is one of the things that just continues to shape the story as it goes on from there. And so a few chapters on, we come to Genesis 5. And Genesis 5 also really kind of a bit of a genealogy in a sense. You just kind of get each generation listed out and there's a pattern that happens where Adam died and then Seth died and then Enosh died and then Canaan died and Mahalal died and Jared died and it just keeps going. And there's across the chapter, there's a pattern where the ages that they live decline and they get smaller as death begins to take its grip on human life and the world that God made very good in the beginning. And so after humanity sin, rejecting God's rule and turning our backs on God, we cut ourselves off from the source of life. Death was the consequence and since then humans have been living under the tyranny of death. And yet there's more than simply death because part of the curse, one of the hallmarks really of life in this age is that toil will be painful. Work will be painful. Living life will be painful. Uh, one of our sons, we often get into conversations and he kind of tells us what he would like to do in the future. And, uh, you know, we try and tell him that work is hard and he says, well, I'll choose a job that I enjoy. That's a great plan. But of course, even in a job that you enjoy, even if you manage to land such a job, and many don't, but even if you do in that job, there'll still be components of that job that you won't enjoy. Life is hard. Toil is hard. 
And despite all our painful toil, there's no gains that we can ultimately make. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes wrestles with this. Um, in some ways, it's a commentary of life after the curse. And the writer wrestles with the reality of life and, and the challenges that arise from a life that, where, where death is the great leveller. And uh, he wants to know what is good for people to do with the days that we have. And so he considers pleasure and achievements and power and comfort and wisdom. And as he considers them from the point of view of someone who's had a good measure of success in pursuing them, still his conclusion is this. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me and who knows whether he's going to be foolish or wise. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labour? under the sun see there is no ultimate gain says the teacher the consequence of death reach back into our lives and they infect every aspect uh, death isn't just the bitter end uh, it, it highlights the futility of trying to find any lasting joy from the things of this world in fact it can make the whole experience of life bitter because you really can't accomplish or gain anything in a lasting sense and that doesn't even begin to tease out the fragility of the things that we have as good as they are they can be taken from us long before the end of our days jesus talks about not storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal and and so things can be taken from us so all of it our pleasure our achievements our power our comfort at best they are a temporary bit of comfort while we wait for the death that catches up to us all and so the curse means our lives will be marked with painful toil and death makes any claim to lasting gain a fantasy. This is true even of the great ones of history, the great pharaohs, the great emperors. They built astonishing buildings. They carved out great empires or lived in luxury, but yet every one of them is gone. And what did their daily struggles get them in the end? Uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've joined us this morning, this question of where does life get its meaning from is a very important question and really forces you to examine uh, the, the kind of things which you are looking to to give life meaning. And, and a good question that's worth asking about those is can they really bear the weight that you are putting on them? Can they really satisfy you? Can they last? Can they deal with your weariness in a really deep sense? Uh, the curse that came because of sin is a terrible burden to bear. And yet there's a second thing to consider about the problem of sin. Um, it, it's a problem we now carry around within us, inside us, if you like. Because um, Adam's rebellion in the garden has infected us all. Uh, it's made our hearts, which are the very centre of our being, biblically speaking, it's made our hearts opposed to God and his ways. You know, occasionally you get to the uh, supermarket and you're trying to find a trolley and you get one you think looks good and, and of course, one of the wheels is skew-if and, and it's completely bung. It just doesn't matter how hard you try and push it straight, it keeps veering off to the side. 
And there's a sense where that's almost the kind of thing that has happened in our hearts. They're just, they've got a bent in them now that, that kind of bends away from God by nature. And so uh, Jesus once summarised the thrust of the Old Testament teaching by saying this, the things that come out of a person's uh, mouth come from the heart and these are what defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus says it is our hearts, the very core of our being, that is fundamental to who we are. That is where we just naturally fight against God and we resist God and we ignore God. And I think this is hard. In our corner of the world, I think most of the time we can scrub up pretty well. And, you know, maybe we can start to convince ourselves that we're good people. We think about the Pharisee and the tax collector and they both went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee stood and he said, Dear God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Do you think when he prayed those words, he was, surely he was speaking the truth, wasn't he? He was not like other people. He was an outstanding man in so many ways. It's just that he thought because of those things, he could be right with God and he couldn't. Last Sunday night, I got home from church and there was the tail end of 60 minutes on. I don't know if you caught... This is not Lachlan's, by the way. This is all me. I don't know if you caught... During the lockdown, there was that Scottish uh, sports broadcaster. He had the two Labradors. There was a, a yellow one and a black one, I think. Uh, Olive and Mabel. And he would just film them doing doggy things around the house and then he would overlay that with some just softly spoken Scottish sports commentary. Did you ever catch these videos? Some people, yes. And they had an interview with him. And, I mean, it was lovely. He's a charming man and... Towards the end of the interview, he just talked about the fact that he just thinks people are really basically good and that we're going to get ourselves out of all the mess that we're in. And the Bible just has 180-degree view on that. And it's so important for us to wrestle with which view is right. In this part of the world, we can scrub up pretty well, but Jesus diagnoses us with such a different diagnosis. Um, Often we, we will tend to attribute kind of our unacceptable behaviour to external factors. Uh, look, you know, it wasn't really me. I was just I was so tired and uh, tiredness made me do it. Uh, no, 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 it wasn't, wasn't really me. I mean, I'm, if you only knew how much pressure I'm under at work at the moment, that's, I mean, that's why I did it. I, I'm sorry. We, we kind of put it out externally and external factors might contribute, of course, but, but actually Jesus says, no, the problem is internal for each one of us. And so we come to the final point to consider under the effects of sin and the curse. All of this really that we're talking about is just a foretaste of the judgment of God that will come against all who are guilty. I mean, life under the curse in this age isn't the end. God's judgment after we've lived lives of painful toil, that's the end. And waiting for God's final judgment adds to the weariness. So King David, at one point, he prayed in Psalm 32. He said to God, reflecting on a sin, When I kept silent about my sin, 
My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long because your hand was heavy against me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And so God will finally judge the earth and it's a good thing that he will not let evil endure except if we are some of those that he will count as evil. And our hearts show which side of that judgment we find ourselves on. Our best efforts to prove ourselves constantly fall short. We either delude ourselves into thinking we're better than we are or we despair at the situation we're in and we do our best to ignore the problems that the curse causes us to face. And when you look at all that, it's just no wonder that the theme of weariness runs through the Christmas carols, is it? Because they're talking about something more profound than the weariness of the last two years and all of the challenges we've faced because of the pandemic. Those are real, but what the scriptures talk about is so much more profound and what the carols talk about is so much more profound. Remember the words from It Came Upon a Midnight Clear? And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps, and slow there's a weariness that the bible tells us about which is our experience of life but then in genesis 12 there is that remarkable thing that happens because the the language of blessing from genesis 1 and 2 that got replaced by the language of curse in genesis 3 is then replaced once more by the language of blessing in genesis 12 and it's overwhelming Uh, god said to abram i will make you into a great nation and i will bless you And I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God would not allow his plans for creation to be derailed. In the aftermath of our sin and the judgment of God that came upon us, God promised blessing and not just for Abraham but through him to the whole world. And so again, we come back to the genealogy in Matthew, which connects Jesus to Abraham and God's promises to bless the world through him. And the angel told Joseph about the child that Mary carried. And and he said to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The very problem that is at the root cause of all our weariness and Jesus will save his people from it. God's plans to bless the world by removing sin find their fulfillment in Jesus as he goes ultimately to the cross to die for us. And so a weary world rejoices. The weariness we feel each day is complex. And um, you know, part of the weariness that we feel is just related to the fact that we are embodied creatures. We're physical creatures and we get physically tired. And we need recovery. We need sleep regularly. But as we think about the weariness that the Christmas story addresses, we're reminded of something so much more significant, so much more heavy, the weariness caused by sin. And this morning, we've just reminded each other of a little glimpse of the problem of sin and the problem that that lays on humanity and the the reality of death and the difficulty of our toil and the final judgment and the terrible weariness that all of those things 
cause. When, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, you know, you might be sitting around with a group of people and, and presents get exchanged, uh, do you have a polite response for the, this is not the present I wanted present? Do you, do you have a, a way of responding to that? Uh, Lachlan talks about how a favourite category of presents for him, uh, he calls them the kind of slow burn presents. When you open it, you kind of think, oh, that's not really what I wanted. But then as you look at it and you kind of examine it a bit more closely and what it does and how you use it, you go, actually, this is very, this is very helpful. I wonder if thinking about sin is a little bit like one of those Christmas presents. Because in some ways, perhaps you've been listening so far this morning going, what are we doing? Like, this is a series to take us into Christmas. Why are we spending all this time thinking about the problem of sin? But, you see, as painful as it is to consider that, and as sober-minded as it is to consider that, actually... The problem of sin is foundational to experiencing the lasting joy of Christmas. It's only as we understand where the weariness really comes from that we can then understand how the solution God provides will actually help the weary world rejoice. Because as we see the terrible burden of sin, we see more clearly just how good it is that Jesus has come and we see even in the midst of our tiredness from the year that we who follow Jesus no longer have to face the weariness that comes from the curse. Uh, if you are hanging out for the break at Christmas, uh, that is very understandable. And uh, there'll be all sorts of general advice that you probably know about how to try and catch up a little bit over the weeks ahead. Uh, let's keep looking forward to the break. But at the same time, let's not fixate on that because we have something so much better to fix our eyes on. Uh, God has sent his son into the world to save us. And in him, God's blessings have flowed to all those who are living under the curse. Uh, secondly, if you aren't feeling as joyful as you might want or, or as you expect as we head into Christmas, maybe you could ask God to keep showing you the depths of your sin. Um, that, that may not be for the faint of heart and it might sound a bit counterintuitive to feeling joyful, but as we consider the problem of sin more clearly, we, we understand the triumphs of God's grace more clearly. As you talk with friends and family members and colleagues, many who are weary, um, there may be certain opportunities this year particularly to share the joy of Christmas that comes from knowing the birth of Christ. Uh, a couple of ideas perhaps, um, depending where things are at. As you talk about how people are tired, uh, maybe you could ask them if it's possible, uh, they think, to, to have joy in the midst of weariness. If you're talking about Christmas traditions, uh, draw their attention to the theme of weariness that runs through some of the carols that they may be familiar with. And, and then you could lead into the same question of joy in the midst of weariness if you wanted to, to throw into some of the ideas from today. But this morning we've been reminded of the great news of that long-awaited Christmas. I mean, think how long God's plan had been, all the way back to Abraham and even before then, he was working towards this point. This little baby, God, 
lowering himself to take on the flesh that we share. Come to save his people from their sins and from the consequences of death and toil and futility and judgment. That one has been born. And so the weary world rejoices. And that's a great thing to pray today uh, as we head to Green Park Carols tonight. Uh, we'll be down there and, you know, we, we host this every year knowing it, it, it might be a little bit like this. Lots of people come down they're just after a picnic with some music in the background and they may not be that tuned in. But all of these carols will be proclaiming the birth of Christ our Saviour. And all of the readings and everything that gets said will be proclaiming the birth of Christ our Saviour. And there'll be some people there tonight who are weary. And the solution they need will be spoken about in their midst. And so, friends, as today goes on, if you're praying, you turn up tonight, you're praying, pray that there, and as well at our Christmas workshop, as well as our Christmas services, we have opportunities coming up to invite weary people to come in and, and rejoice as they hear about Christ. And as we focus on these things ourselves, we too get to be reminded that we are people of joy because of what God has done for us in sending his son. So let's pray together. Will you join me, please? Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do uh, ask that you'd uh, be with Locke in his sickness and uh, yeah, help him to get the rest and recovery that he needs and uh, protect uh, Caitlin and Charlie from sickness. But we pray for all of us, uh, having heard your word today, that we would remember the seriousness of uh, the weariness we face in a world marked by human sin and uh, we would realize the great things that you have done to address all our needs that no more sins and sorrows might grow and thorns infest the ground because a savior has been born to us who is christ the lord in fulfillment of all your promises our loving heavenly father help us to be people of joy this christmas and we pray that tonight and over the weeks ahead there might be many opportunities for us to share this news with those who need to hear it. Amen.